Good morning. I'm Anna Marie, and it's time for Focus. Today, our guest is Lynn Wood with Mental Health America of the Mid-South here in Tennessee. Uh, Welcome, first of all, to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, tell us, first of all, what Mental Health America of the Mid-South is. Well, we are a nonprofit organization. We've been here in Middle Tennessee for 75 years. We're the best-kept secret. Uh, because you've probably never heard of us. No, nope. and you look much younger than 75, well, might I Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> um, Here we go. Uh, we're a resource agency. We provide educational materials. We don't see appointments. We don't do clinic work. So when someone calls to make an appointment, we refer them. Oh. So as a mental health entity, people can call us. They can kind of tell us what's going on, and then we can get those resources right into their hands. Or instead of giving them an 800 number, say, here, call Josie at this number and get them right there for many different mental health situations that are going on. And we have several programs um, underneath our umbrella of Mental Health America. Like depression, like dementia, like suicide, ideations, schizophrenia, alcoholism, drug addiction. We... And get some calls sometimes with folks who have young adults coming out of an inpatient stay and now they need transitional housing. And so we don't do that, but we can get them where they need to go and give them a list. And we have a spreadsheet. So when we're taking in the information, we can put what part of town someone's in, what insurance they have. Do they want a male counselor or a female counselor, an older or younger? And then we can kind of just triages it for us. And then we can say, there you go. Wow, that's an amazing resource. It's amazing. We also have a free mental health screening. So if you go onto our website, there's a QR code. And you can take a free screening, and the same thing happens. It's anonymous, but at the end of the screening, depending on what your answers are, it will then also provide you a printout or a text message or an email of the resources that are out there as well. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we do a lot. We do a lot with children and older adults all the way from beginning to end. And so the printout, is that something that, does it have the results, something that you could take to your doctor or? You can do that. Yes. You can print that out and say, this is what I took and this is what it says. I took the test. I I came up with nothing. I'm just boring, I guess. I was like, shoot, let me take it again and lie because I didn't get anything. It said, you're fine. And I was like, oh, okay. If you, if you say so. (laughs) You're a little too happy. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) So, um. We're going to talk about the reason that you're you're here mm-hmm. and kind of spread the word about this an upcoming event. Yes, thank you so much. The Alzheimer's Foundation of America is having a conference in June. It is free and I have been asked to present on Alzheimer's, dementia and dealing with difficult behaviors. Wow. And so there's other uh, professionals that are going to be there. It is a virtual conference and this is part of their National Educating America Tour. So the AFA has gone around to a lot of different states, pulled state representatives, state professionals for whatever state they're in, and then have been holding these conferences virtually. Everybody is mental health is health. And so how do you get that person to the resources? And so if you can't drive or can't go to Nevada, or maybe you're listening right now and you're in another state and you can't come to Nashville, then you can sign in virtually and still hear what everybody else is hearing. So I'm so happy, Lynn, 
to be able to help you spread the word because I know my father had dementia mm-hmm. and he had, you talk about dealing with difficult behaviors. Mm-hmm. It was so hard. It yeah. was so hard. And we didn't know where to go. We didn't know who to turn to. We did not know where to go to get help. Mm-hmm. And it would end up uh, with him in crisis and with us trying to get him checked in somewhere uh, um, at a, a psychiatric ward at a hospital because right. we did not know what to do or where to go. So hopefully we're going to give people a place that they can go first thing. That's exactly what my job is. Uh, with Mental Health America of the Mid-South, I run the Caregiver Support Program. I'm a certified dementia specialist, and I'm a member of the National Council for Certified Dementia Practitioners. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> um, but all that means is I personally don't work with the person who has the diagnosis of Alzheimer's or other dementias, I work for that caregiver. Every doctor out there, every neurologist, every therapist, they want to figure out Alzheimer's and dementia. They're working with the person with that diagnosis. Right. Uh, who's working for the caregiver? So the caregiver has increased stress, increased depression, isolation, oh, yeah. anger issues, grief issues, and where do they go? And so My job as a caregiver support person is to say, here are tools, here are resources. Let's talk through what you're seeing in the home. Uh, Most folks want to age in place. So how can you do that successfully? Age in place. Will you explain what that means, please? Yes. Age in place means you're going to stay at home as long as it's safely possible, even with a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or dementia. Right. So when does it become necessary for someone to leave the home? And that really depends on what the caregiver's capabilities are Mm -hmm. and how far you want to go. Do you want to put a Hoyer lift in your bedroom? Well, then your person who maybe is not mobile, now you can keep them there, but now you have this huge thing in your bedroom to get them from the bed to the bath because now they don't stand on their own. Right. Um, But it's also talking with families about all the options that are out there because the scope of care in Tennessee has really broadened over my career in that now assisted livings and memory cares, they will let you age in place. They will bring in palliative care or hospice. So once your loved one maybe lives in that type of setting, that becomes their home and they don't have to move at the end of life. Right. And what is the difference in palliative care and hospice? hospice well palliative care is kind of before hospice so it is work that is done usually through a hospice organization like alive hospice has palliative care adoration hospice has palliative care and that kind of comes in first and it helps with quality of life issues it kind of helps manage medications Uh, they bring in extra therapies and things like that so it's just really working for the overall quality of life for that person Hospice then intercedes and comes in if that person has decided they're they don't want to fight anymore. Maybe they don't want dialysis anymore or chemotherapy for a cancer, or maybe that de- dementia or Alzheimer's is progressed now into the end stages mm-hmm. to where there is no. I mean, we can't save somebody from Alzheimer's or dementia, and there's not a cure at this point. So that hospice care is really more hands on deck, and those folks can go into an assisted living community if that community allows it yeah in that way it's just more eyes on your loved one i love hospice i think it's great yeah most of them do counseling you know up to 13 months after the loss of someone mm-hmm. it's just a great benefit and your medicare pays for it so i mean use it it, it has a bad stigma 
uh, Anna Marie, because people think I'm going to die. You know, and I've had families who have had someone on hospice care for six months, nine months, two years. So it's it's uh, a benefit our folks work for our older adults get with their insurance. Now, you need to check, though, everybody, if you're listening to me, because an HMO might be different if you have an advantage care plan. But your traditional Medicare will cover. Mm -hmm. But if you want to call Mental Health America of the Mid-South, then we can get you resources on insurance terminology. And, you know, if you hear something, I don't know what that means. Then we can I can shoot. I can I can shoot you some information on uh, those senior living older adult terminology yes, pieces that you need to know to figure out that what you need to know yeah you know, next step is mm-hmm. so uh, we're talking about all kinds of mental health issues is uh parkinson's so there's different ways of looking at parkinson's so we have parkinson's secondary to dementia or dementia secondary to parkinson's okay. and it's really what the doctor sees first so is it the tremors is it the muscles contracting first and then there becomes some um, memory and cognitive issues. So yes. then you have then you have dementia secondary to the Parkinson's. Right. And so, but some folks might have dementia and then they develop that shaking and the tremor and you have Parkinson's secondary to dementia. So now it's basically clear as mud, right, about <laughs> Parkinson's. But again, Mental Health America, I have a piece on Parkinson's related dementia. So that's out there. You can also reach out to the NIA the National Institute on Aging, and they've got information as well. Because I have a friend who her husband has Parkinson's, and she mm-hmm. said his personality is, is changing. Mm-hmm. She said it's just completely changing. Right. And it's, she's struggling with it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, Mental Health America of the Mid-South in Tennessee is who I need to get her in touch with. Right, because then I can put resources in her hands, and there's Parkinson's support groups out there. Uh, there's an organization in Nashville that has weighted silverware and weighted cups and so if he's having tremors then you can just put a little weight uh you have a fork that's weighted and has a bigger handle um, and it might stop that tremor so the whole idea with what we're trying to do now different organizations is that quality of life because someone is tremor has tremors they can still go to a restaurant and have a meal with their family yeah and uh, they just take their own silverware yeah. because what's in the restaurant may not be sturdy enough. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of um, a lot of tools, a lot of tools. Yeah. A lot of electrical tools or just things that occupational therapists have designed or whatever to put in place to help folks maintain that quality of life and that continuity of care. OK, so that's just one part of mental health. We're talking with Linwood, Mental Health America of the Mid-South here in Tennessee, and she's going to be one of the presenters at the Alzheimer's Foundation of America's National Educating America Tour. Uh, it's going to be in June. Mm-hmm. And so you you will be speaking on what the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia or well, I, I will cover that. My topic specifically is dealing with difficult behaviors. Oh. So, but you can have those difficult behaviors even with Parkinson's. So I think the first thing, you know, the first thing I'm going to cover in my presentation is there there is a difference between dementia and Alzheimer's. So dementia, there could be a hundred different reasons for someone to have dementia because dementia is a symptom of mild cognitive impairment that's that brain is just not working those cognitive skills are declining so why is that and it could be because of a delirium a depression 
some sort of infection, medication interactions. You've started a new medication and now it's mixing with your old one. And so you start having odd behaviors or you start having some memory lapses. Wow. If we fix that, if we fix the depression or we fix the infection, uh, you see that dementia go away. Wow. So now Alzheimer's is the most prevalent form of dementia. Oh. So when you look at dementia, we in this profession say dementia is an umbrella. And under that umbrella, you have Alzheimer's, Lewy body dementia, frontal temporal, Parkinson's, and then all those others, dementia, uh, delirium, depression, infections. And it's all kind of underneath that umbrella. Okay. But Alzheimer's is the most prevalent form. And 60 some odd, 65% of the time, it is going to be a Alzheimer's type dementia. And I think that's why people get them interchangeable or they do interchange them or get them confused or use both of them in the same sentence. Yeah. Um, Which is fine because Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. But but, uh, if your loved one has dementia, they may not have Alzheimer's. Exactly. They may not have Alzheimer's or they may have a different type. They may have a Lewy body dementia, which might then entail hallucinations and delusions and we see a lot, some of our military uh, veterans experiencing wow. Lewy body dementia and our military folks who suffered with PTSD. So I don't understand uh-huh. how it works. That's not what I do. But um, it's important for me to know when I'm talking to a family what type of dementia they're working with mm-hmm. so that I can make sure they're getting the appropriate tools into their hands. So we, we ask a lot of questions. But what kind of different information would you give to a family depending on what type of dementia would they have and dealing with the difficult behaviors. For example, um, I mentioned my dad had dementia mm-hmm. and there were lots of difficult behaviors. What would you mm-hmm. tell us? First first thing. Tell me what's going on in the house. Mm-hmm. You know, is was your father-in-law following a caregiver around the house? Was he leaving the house just at all times of the day? Yeah, that was it? That was yeah, so them. that's an Alzheimer's type of behavior, wandering. Because with Alzheimer's, what we learned first, so what we learned as a child, we remember the longest. So I always use my son in this manner because when he was a child and as a single parent, help mama open the door. Right. So at three, four, five, he's opening the door and I'm praising him. Thank you so much. You help mama so much. You're such a big boy. Yeah. So now he's learned that at five. So now if he becomes... 75, and he's resorting back to his childhood, he remembers how to wander. So he sees the door, and he wants to be a big boy, and so he opens the door, and he wants to go outside. Right. So um, what do you put in place? Again, so someone can age in place. So my advice then would be, do you have a coat rack by your front door? I do right now in May, and I've got a coat rack with eight coats on it. Right. So move that coat rack. Because a coat and a door means go. go. So you move that. You might also put a stop sign on the back of the door. So that because we learn stop signs when we're in elementary school. So that might work. That also works for autistic uh, children. But that's way out of my zone. Yeah. But I can get your resource. If somebody's out there listening, (laughs) then we can get a resource. Uh, Now they have things that you can make the back of a door look. It's like a wallpaper. But it looks like a bookcase. Oh, my so goodness. So it just kind of tricks the brain because the brain is ultimately dying. That's what Alzheimer's is or dementia is. That brain function is diminishing. 
So you can, I don't want to say trick it, but you can put things in place to kind of fool the eye Mm -hmm. um, to keep them safe. The other thing I would tell someone who wanders is to move or put a deadbolt at the top of a door Mm -hmm. or at the bottom towards the floor. Because the learned behavior when we're young is that the deadbolt is right above the doorknob. Right. So if they go and they try that doorknob and that doesn't make the door open, it's a, it's a new behavior for them to look up or to look down, and they won't do that. Oh. Because the new stuff they've learned, they forget it first. That's yeah. why it's short-term memory. We had to do that with my dad, and mm-hmm. he kept going to, uh, I've got to go, I've got a, a girlfriend waiting, and we're ready to get married. Mm-hmm. And he would grab a Kroger sack and put his couple pair of underwear and socks in there and try and get on down the road on his walker to mm-hmm. go meet somebody that, I, as far as we know, he, he never existed right. to go get for his wedding day. For his wedding day. So that, for me, conversation would be to stop them and say, you know what, we are going to go see her, but we're going tomorrow. And but So before we leave, I need you to take a shower, eat some lunch, something to take their mind off of what they want to go do Ah. because the brain's dying the brain is breaking so it can't do two things at one time it can't remember the old girlfriend and i need to pack my underwear in a bag and now i need to go and pick some flowers outside and the best redirecting word i have found here recently or i've always known it is tomorrow everything happens tomorrow everything is possible tomorrow and when tomorrow gets here Guess what? There's another tomorrow. Right. You know, but it pacifies them. And it helps them have peace instead of it helps sitting them have there peace. frustrated. Exactly. You validated what they want to do is fine, but we're just going to do it later. Yeah. Instead of saying, there's no girlfriend there. You don't need to go anywhere. You're just talking out of your mind. Yeah. You don't want to say that to someone. We want to be respectful. We want to treat them as the senior Uh, person in the family or whatever their role is Mm -hmm. and so you you can validate oh i know you want to see her but we're going to do that tomorrow right now i really need your help validate their fears or validate their desires but then give them something else to concentrate on that they can be successful at putting stamps on an envelope tearing up junk mail Mm -hmm. Um, most of my families have success when they say can you help me Especially women asking their husbands, if their husbands, because men are the head of the household, they want to be the protector, they want to be the one in charge. And so if that wife says, can you help me? They want to help. And so even if it's something like opening a jar, even though the jar doesn't need to be opened, Mm -hmm. but if your husband is is having a, if they're asking the repeated question over and over again, or they're getting agitated, or they're asking about an old girlfriend, Oh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Can you open this jar? Yeah. It gives them a purpose. It gives them something to do. Their mind can't think about the other thing. Right. And it's hand-eye coordination. It's stimuli. Their thought is process is working. Excellent. So you get more blood and oxygen to the brain, which is what's sick. And what so, needs that. And what needs that extra blood and oxygen. Yes. I'm still fascinated with how you deal with difficult behaviors. One thing that I had read a couple of years ago, and it just fascinated me, was when you're talking with a loved one and they don't remember who you are. Are you mm-hmm. are you my daughter or that sort of thing mm-hmm. that when you're talking to them, uh, somebody said, I brought a magazine and I said, my mom was looking at it and she said, that not that lady pretty? Look at that pink outfit. Mm-hmm. And then the daughter said, where do you think she's going all dressed up like that? And her mom starts saying, oh, I bet she's going out for a date. 
She's getting ready for a big night out. They found something that mom didn't have to remember specific details about. She Mm -hmm. didn't try and force her mother to remember that I'm your daughter, I'm the oldest daughter, I'm Susan, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But she found a way to converse with. And see, that is perfect, Anna Marie, because now what you have is when that mother's journey is over, this person has that memory to sustain them through that grief, and they've made the most of the stage of where their loved one is in. Our older adults have so much history in their brains because long-term memories stay. So one of the best activities that I encourage families to do, even if their loved one lives in an assisted living or memory care, is take those old black and white photos that all of our parents have, Mm -hmm. but we have no clue who they are. Exactly. And so take them and say, who do you suppose this is? And if they come up with a name, they might also do the story. And now you can write this on the back of the picture. Yeah. Because what then can happen is you have a storybook of your parents' life. Yeah. So when they forget all of it and they ask you, I wonder if I have any brothers or sisters, Uh then you can pull out these pictures and go, well, this picture says that this is Uncle Randall. So you must have had a brother named Randall. And give them some hints and some clues. And then a lot of times they can piece some stories together. But your history is right there in your older adults. It's a great activity. It's a purposeful conversation. And have them take those photos and then put them all in a photo album. I have a feeling that people would learn a whole lot to make their lives better and the lives of their loved ones better if they were able to see you speak about dealing with difficult behavior. I, th- I hope that's the case. That's mm-hmm. my goal anyway. And it's also trying to get, just like the folks you were talking about a minute ago, the idea of getting frustrated. I think a lot of times folks' frustration comes from not understanding what's happening. Yeah. And to, to have that realization that cognitively, The person with the dementia or Alzheimer's is doing the very best they can at that very moment. Right. That's the best their brain is going to give you. Yeah. But we have the cognitive ability to be patient, to slow down, to change our verbiage, to step back and go, ooh, I'm I'm getting a little angry, so maybe I need to take my own little time out and then come back and reapproach. So what people need to recognize and understand is that we lose a lot of our senses, sense abilities. We learn our senses and we're in first grade, touch, smell, taste, hear, feel, smell, all of that. And that brain makes that work. Our brain makes those senses and pick up all those. So now the brain's dying. So our vision changes. We smell things differently. We hear different things. We taste differently. Because our brain is changing as it diminishes. So with that, then we need to adjust what we're doing. And when we're giving direct care or when we're talking to someone and what happens with most caregivers is we talk too much. We try to give too much instructions, too many instructions, too many details. Mama, get up. And once you get dressed, we're going to go downstairs and have breakfast. And then we're going to go meet Aunt Trudy for lunch in just a little while. And that person with dementia has no clue what you said past get up. Oh. And so we've have I've had families who have been very frustrated who have said, I asked my husband to go upstairs, change his clothes, and take a shower, and I get up there and he's standing in the shower with the water running with his clothes on. Oh. 
And it's like, okay, he didn't do anything wrong. You just gave too much at one time. We know that visually, because the cognitive understanding is changing, they're looking at our facial expressions to see, should they be happy? Should they be sad? Should they be frustrated? How are you standing? How are you? What is your body position? Because that's how someone, that's how a lot, all of us really take in that um, information visually. But that person who's living with Alzheimer's or dementia is really depending on that. So if you're having a bad day and you have a scowl on your face, then they may think that they've done something wrong or they don't know what and they don't know what. So uh, that's why taking a step back and regathering yourself and saying, "Okay, wait a minute, I'm not doing this correctly. So I have a I have a piece that's called a caregiver conversation. And that's one of the main pieces of my program. And it's where I sit down one on one with that family caregiver and listen to what what their journey looks like. And then leave them pieces of information that are specific for what they're dealing with. And then I also try to help as many families as possible pre-plan. I Mm. want these families that are caring for someone with Alzheimer's and dementia to be proactive, not reactive. And too many times, which is how I got into this work, because I saw families and I worked with families who are making long-term care decisions based upon an urgent need and an emotional setting. Whoa. And they were not always making maybe the right decisions or I thought a better decision could be made or it was just a sad situation to think this is all they think they can do yeah. when if they had planned, if they had thought about it. So one of the main things and one of the big pieces of information that I have is helping them pre-plan and tour assisted livings now, tour nursing homes now, find out what um, all the resources are that are out there. Are your legal papers in place? What hospitals and home health and adult day stays does your insurance cover? Have all that, write it down. So then in those instances of emergency, you just pull out the book. It's all there. And early stages of this disease, you can have those conversations with your loved ones And let them be a part of the planning process so you don't have to try to guess what their wishes are. So, you know, write it down for my son. I've written down a lot of things that I want. You know, nobody wants to have the death conversation. And I hear this all, oh, I'm dreading. I'm dreading having the death conversation. Well, I can fix that for you. Have it. Write it down. And you never have to have that conversation again in the, for the rest of your life. Right. You've done it. Done. Why are you going to spend 20 years dreading it when you can have 20 minutes of having it and then you're done? You're done. And write it down. And there are books and tools and workbooks and manuals. Journal. Just get you a piece of notebook paper and write down what you want, you know, for the rest of your end of life and, mm-hmm. and, and put it down. How early can you start? I've been talking to my husband about starting to figure this stuff out. We mm-hmm. have a, a special needs son mm-hmm. and we want to start investigating now. Mm-hmm. Assisted living, independent living, assisted living, things like that mm-hmm. for all of us. How early can you start? Do we have to have some specific diagnosis to be able to start doing this? No, no. One of the good things about assisted livings is people live there all the time and don't have a, an Alzheimer's diagnosis or any, maybe not even any health needs. I had a family one time that the wife needed care, but the husband didn't, but they both moved in together. Yeah. It didn't have to it didn't take ha- both of them it down. It didn't have to take both of them down. And when, 
when her journey of life was over, then he moved back home. So yeah. so there's so many different ways you can make it work, but it's never too early to plan. You know, financially, how are you going to afford it? Yes. You know, um, where, what part of town do you want to be? You know, if, if my son and daughter-in-law moved to Minnesota, okay, then I need to be looking for places in Minnesota. I'm not going to expect them to come back to Nashville, Tennessee. Right. So, and there are companies out there. It's a wonderful company called Let's Get Moving. And it will help you move your loved one across the United States, wherever you need them to go. There are people, there are resources and agencies out there to help that family caregiver figure it out. You don't have to figure it out on your own because we can build a team with me and now this person and this person with hospice and palliative and let's get moving and this hospital and this assisted living. We can build you a team so that when something changes, we can say, oh, nope, I just had somebody do that. They said, no, maybe you need to call Lynn back. And she called me. She said, I was just talking to I was just talking to my counselor. My counselor said, maybe I need to call you back. And I was like, I'm glad you did, because he's moved into another stage. Uh, So now we need different tools than what we had before. Good. And so, you know, the wonderful thing about it is, I mean, I don't want to work myself to death, but because my agency and my program is grant funded, then I can provide services for free. Mm -hmm. So and then I also have manuals and information in Spanish. So if we have those Spanish-speaking individuals yeah. or adults or caregivers dealing with their older adult loved one, then I could still put those same resources in their hands Perfect. in a language that is what their native language is. Thank you for your help. You're very welcome. You're, it's my pleasure. We're going to put all the links on our Focus Facebook page, and we're also going to post information about the National Educating America Tour. Make sure you join us again next week. I'm Anna Marie, and that's Focus.